morning on this brisk morning that we're gathering together and it's a real honor to be able to spend this time with you. This is the second of a series of sermons on onward and we're looking this morning at the topic of onward into patience. Let's look at a scripture verse as we began this morning from uh, James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is full, fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. One of the Christian virtues is the virtue of patience. And if I were to ask us to raise our hands, if some of us in this room thought we could we could do with a little more patience, at least 70 or 80% of us would raise our hands and we'd know the other 20% were lying because we all find ourselves in situations where we need more patience. But here in the West, we have a love-hate relationship with patience. Fundamentally, our, our culture is not a culture of patience and it has many byproducts that are good. The United States is almost always the first country out of a worldwide recession. We give great credence to our economic leaders, business leaders, military leaders. We are a doer kind of country. The Gospels, the four Gospels are written to different audiences, and one of those audiences was the Gospel of Mark that was written to Rome. The Romans were very much like Americans. The Romans admired accomplishment and achievement. So the Gospel of Mark is the shortest Gospel, 16 chapters. It has the least of the words of Jesus and the most of the miracles of Christ. Because Mark, writing to the Romans, knew they wanted to validate who Jesus was on the basis of what he did, not just on the basis of what he knew. So we find the Gospel of Mark, or Gospel of Luke, written to the Greeks with an entirely different framework. Because Greeks were very much interested in the ideas of a man, not just the accomplishments of a man. Well, that sense of, that sense of impatience, which serves us so well, has a dark side. I spent a couple hours this week watching the documentary on Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple Computers. And this is a man who almost single-handedly changed the entire technological landscape of the world. His accomplishments can hardly be overstated. And yet this was a man who, if you worked for him, found it almost intolerable to be around. 20 and 30 years later, people who talked about their experience of working for Steve Jobs, grown men and women would still break down in tears. The declaration that they lost their wives or husbands, they lost their children. The price they paid to be under this constant pressure and grilling that was part of working at Apple Computer and with Steve Jobs. So while we maintain this sense of impatience on the one hand that serves us, 
We know intuitively that there are other things in our life you just can't speed up, like child rearing. You know, couldn't they go from like one to at least 13? But they don't. Our, uh, our son and his family were home this Christmas from uh, China. They have a two-year-old named Camden who during his visit here probably watched Cars on the iPad oh, a thousand times. <laughs> you know, I just want to be conservative in my estimate. You know, by that time, parents are drooling, you know, they're, that's just part of child rearing. We know that patience was required for building great marriages, that they don't happen overnight. We know that discipleship and growing into the image of Christ is not an overnight affair. In fact, there are some things in growing in Christ, I think you have to be a certain age to even start to learn. I went to a workshop this weekend at Peter Holmes and, and, uh, and uh, Susan Williams put on. They put on a little workshop on how to create confidence in your children. And I've always been puzzled at why I was a slow starter. And I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go to that. And, you know, in the first hour, I learned something about myself I had never known and how it applied to that of being a slow starter, not having very good confidence when I was young. So we never stop learning. We're always learners. So we're going to look at patience knowing that part of our instinct is to feel we need it. Part of our instinct is to know there's certain things that require it. But part of our instinct as Westerners is to resist the need for it. So let's have a look at the real meaning of patience. The most common thought is that patience is simply waiting. It's a passive activity. We're just waiting something out. But in fact, out of the 32 times that a particular Greek word for patience is used in the New Testament, 29 of them are more closely related to the word bravery. Bravery. That patience and bravery are very common words together. And that changes our idea of what patience actually is, doesn't it? And what it looks like. And it certainly moves it out of the passive into, more, into a more active thing. It is the determination of a long-distance runner making slow progress. Patience is not about sprinting. It's not about a one-time win. Patience is something we're doing over a long period of time to get to a particular goal. Not everything in my life or yours will bend to the short sprint. I need to learn patience. So let's have... Let's have a look at four applications for patience this morning. Number one, patience in eternity. Our culture is a triumphal culture. We love verses like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It, it fits who we are as Americans. But the Bible says also that the whole creation groans. That sin has tainted everything and it's tainted us. And nothing is the way it was meant to be. And in this world, despite the measure of triumphalism that we like to pretend, that, that if I can't fix it today, I can certainly fix it by tomorrow, there are people who will live almost their entire lives with the tragic. 
with the tragic. The paraplegic, Johnny Erickson Tata, a fun-loving 16-year-old girl who dove into, a, into water only to break her neck and spend the rest of her life in a wheelchair. And so she writes the book, Heaven, Patience, and Eternity. Someone who's struggling with mental illness and they just can't get, get up over it. And it's five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. J.B. Phillips. J.B. Phillips wrote a translation of the New Testament. He took these very words of the New Testament that we just read and he phrased it this way. When all kinds of trials and tribulations crowd into your life, do not resent them as truder, intruders, but welcome them as friends. Isn't that sweet? Doesn't that flow nice? J.B. Phillips spent his entire life struggling with debilitating depression. Now what am I going to say to him? You need to get into the word more. <laughs> he, he translated the New Testament. The J.B. Phillips translation of the New Testament in the 60s and 70s was the most popular translation in the world among university students. That's the impact that translation had. And yet with all that truth, he could not find his way up over the mental illness that he struggled with. Some will live their lives in grinding poverty and they will never get out of it. Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. So no matter how much our triumphalism, some people will live with that tragic. Some will live with searing unfairness. A woman living in a culture where the macroeconomic and social systems of the culture keep her down, keep her unable to experience the full DNA of her life. Or children who, on the basis of the laws of a country, are not able to get ahead and, in fact, find themselves constantly in a place of abuse. In Charles Dickens' day in England, there was an epidemic of child beggars. And it was because of the laws of the country and what it did to children. And some people will be stuck in those, those macro systems and they will never get out. A prisoner in a penitentiary who finds Christ. I used to go to our penitentiary in Deer Lodge and speak to the, the prisoners at the chapel. And if, if you're speaking to the prisoners, they have two services. One for low intensity and one for high intensity prisoners. Low intensity are people who are in there for fraud or check writing or, you know, breaking and entering, stuff like that. High intensity, murder, repetitive, violent crime. And the atmosphere between those two groups who are not allowed to mix is just stark. When the low intensity prisoners come in, there's a lot of joking around and laughing with each other. When the high intensity prisoners come in, it's an entirely different. And yet, among those high-intensity prisoners, there are men who will share their, their testimony of how they have come to faith in Christ. And yet, they will still be in prison for 30 and 40 years. And they live with that painful reality. Listen to this. Listen to this scripture. In Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews is talking about the hall of fame of faith. And then he lists these. But others were tortured, 
refusing to turn from God in order to be set free, they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Now catch this, yet none of them received all that God had promised. In a world of the tragic, there are some people, it is heaven they hold on to. That for millions of years they will be in this perfect world. Which for all of his greatness, one of it will be, it will make up for what they endured in this imperfect world. Let's look at another one. Patience and codependency. Now you'd think a sermon on patience would be to talk about patience, encourage you to have patience, but actually this is going to be a point about don't have too much patience. Patience and codependency. After about 45 years in this industry, I'll tell you something about the church world. There are people who suffer from significant dysfunctions in their life. Now, I'm not talking about some people are dysfunctional and some aren't. We are all dysfunctional. We all have stuff about us that needs to be fixed. You know, just turn to the person next to you, look at them, think to yourself, boy, they're dysfunctional. And then just drop your head and shake it. Say, Lord, I'm glad I'm not one of them. (laughs) I'm not talking about someone who is part of the fallen race, someone who's had a moment of dysfunction or a season. I'm talking about someone who, because of the course of their life, have a long-term, unbroken line of misbehavior in a given area of their life. There are people like that who seek out the church because they trust that Christians, with the Christian virtue of patience, will allow it to be applied wrongly and therefore comfort their dysfunction. I'm going to tell you what this looks like. Imagine you're in a 16-foot Lund boat and you're out fishing. And you're there and there's somebody else there. They're on that side of the boat, you're on this side of the boat, and they lean over. They're leaning over into the water, and that's going to make the boat start to tip. Now, all of us are born with the sense of the desire for homeostasis, which is balance and safety in our life. So if they're leaning over, then I'm going to lean over. So now you've got the boat stabilizing and two people out of balance. Now, the dysfunctional person thinks that's normal. Since the boat is flat, the fact that they're leaning over the boat and you're leaning over the boat is immaterial. And so there can be people in your life where you're leaning over the boat all the time. You're out of balance all the time because one of the aspects of codependency is I take more responsibility than I should for the other person. Over responsibility. 
So now we're both leaning over the boat, out of balance. And somewhere, sometime in your life, you're going to say to yourself, that's it. I'm going to sit up. I don't care if it swamps the boat. I'm not going to lean over anymore. And when you do that, there will be three things that may happen. Number one, some good Christian friend may come to you and say, you don't have the right to give up on that person. You just got to keep investing. You got to, like, they're, they're the only person who could need investment. Like, you might not have sons or daughters or husbands and wives, and they deserve investment. No, you're investing physical and emotional energy to them all the time. There is a river headed to them. Someone's going to say, no, no, you can't. You're not giving up on them. You're giving them to God. And you're keeping your own spirit open towards them, but you're going to sit up. And you do not need some Christian coming to you after you've invested all kinds of time and energy in this person telling you there's something wrong if you don't keep investing in them. After all, doesn't the Bible say you should have patience? Now, a second thing may well happen. The person leaning over the boat and who's dysfunctionally, emotional, relationally, They've gotten used to you leaning over the other way. And when you sit up, they'll use the two primary weapons they use to control anybody. And that's either anger or hurt. You can't believe how you've hurt me. You just can't believe. After all that's been going on in my life, and now, now look at what you've done. My answer is, yeah, you ought to be glad I'm not a farmer with a lot of farm tools around. I'm sitting up. Because you're never going to get well with me hanging over my side of the boat. And then there's a third. Imagine there's two or three other people in the boat. They've, they're enjoying the boat being stable because you're leaning over, over responsible for the other person and when you start to sit up, they're going to say, listen, don't, 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 don't do that. You've you got to think about us. Look at the mess. Now, you know why they feel that? Because they know that the dysfunctional person is the person who, as one of the signs of their dysfunction, is to bring destruction upon themselves and anybody else who challenges that area of their life. Most of us who are normal have our problems, but we know if the price gets too high, we'll just back up because we're not going to destroy other people. But the dysfunctional person feels entitled to rain destruction down on other people if they don't keep leaning over the boat. And so you have some people wanting you not to sit up because it creates chaos in their life. And here's how it looks in the end. They want peace. They want the boat level. The price of that is peace. But if I'm going to maintain peace at the, and the price of it is allowing that person to be unbalanced and dysfunctional, then nobody's safe. Because that dysfunctional person is still in control. And you are invited when you sit up to regain the authority you have in Jesus Christ from your creation based on Genesis chapters 1 and 2 
and stand in your personal authority and not give it away to that other person who's dysfunctional or to the people who don't want you to sit up because it's going to make a mess in their life. If you're here this morning and you recognize yourself, you know that other people walk on eggshells all the time because they're afraid of your anger or never a week goes by where you're not hurt. Then, in the words of the great psychologist, Bob Newhart, stop it. (laughs) You know, the tragedy is you won't be able to stop it without someone helping you. Almost nobody gets out of this kind of dysfunctional place without finally going to someone else and say, will you walk with me through this? And if you're the person who's felt over-responsible, and so you've been leaning over the boat for years, it takes bravery to sit up. And it's not likely you can do that by yourself either and do it wisely. And you need someone to help you. But for all the things patience is about the long-distance runner and the bravery and the endurance, it does not mean allowing someone else to abuse you and everybody else around you because they can't get a hold of the issues in their life. That is not patience. Number three, by the way, if you think, well, are you sure that's biblical? I'm going to tell you that when God worked with the children of Israel, brought them right up to the gates of the promised land and they wouldn't go in, he let an entire generation die in the desert because his patience was done. There is a limit to that virtue. Number three, patience and assertiveness. Now, this is a funny one because I, I grew up in a church culture where assertiveness itself was, was usually thought of as ego run amok. And so patience was a very passive trait. You prayed and you waited inactively. But if patience is bravery, then even in the midst of waiting, there is activity. It is the, the patience of Gandhi who in his nonviolent approach to get India, India out from under the rule of Britain worked diligently while having to be very patient for how it happened. It is Lincoln who determined that the nation would stay one nation even though he knew it would take years and many difficulties in order to get the nation back together as one nation. It is Nelson Mandela, even in prison, trying to lead his own country out of apartheid. It is Charles Simeon. (laughs) You can go to a church in Cambridge, still there, Cambridge, England, little brick church, and it was a church that Charles Simeon pastored. Charles Simeon got his degree, and then he was given this church to pastor, and the people didn't like him. Now, that was in the day where you rented your church pews, and the pews had doors you could lock. And so in order to keep him from having any influence, all the people who didn't like him wouldn't come to church, but they would lock their pews so nobody else could hear them. So the people who wanted to listen to Charles Simeon would have to bring benches, two-by-fours and bricks and stuff, and sit on them around the edge of the church. 
So when he'd get up to preach, there'd be nobody in the pews and a crowd of people all around the edge of the church. Now you'd think, well, I don't need this. But Charles Simeon pastored that church for over 50 years. And became a massive leader in the church world and bringing the gospel to people. But he had to overcome as a long-distance runner this difficulty while maintaining his assertiveness to preach the gospel. So assertiveness is not separate from patience. Please keep this in mind. Nothing good happens in a vacuum. It's one of the leadership principles. When I'm coaching leaders, I give them all the time. Nothing good happens in a vacuum. Patience can't be the kind of trait that simply allows a vacuum to exist. Number three, and our last, number four, and our last one. Patience and tribulation. The Bible says, in this world you will have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. One of the things that patience is, is a connection to some goal of glory or a better time or day. Some goal of glory or a better time or a better day. 2 Corinthians 6.4, Paul is writing, and he says, we patiently endure, and then he talks about three things, three kinds of tribulations. One, he says, afflictions, and afflictions are those things which might have been avoided, but we didn't. We should never have made that financial investment, we did, and we're going to be 10 years crawling our way out from under it. a relational decision, a driving decision. She said, turn right. She didn't say, wait for the approach. (laughs) Not only afflictions, but necessities. Necessities are things that come on us, and they can't be avoided. You and I are going to get sick. And sometimes we can get sick because of our own doing, and sometimes we just get sick. The Bible says the rain falls and the just and the unjust stuff just happens. Afflictions, necessities, and straits. Straits are places we get into where it appears there is no way out. And in the face of afflictions, necessities, and straits, we patiently endure. I often watch the, uh, every year when the Kennedy Center Honors come along, a, a time when the arts world really admires and rewards people who have done significant things in the United States. Just a couple weeks or so ago, they, there was a new set of presentations, and among the people who received awards was George Lucas, a number of other well-known people. One was Cicely Tyson. Cicely Tyson is a black actress who now is in her 90s, Probably her most famous role was the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. But even in her 90s, she's been on Broadway doing a remake of Horton Foote's play, A Trip to Bountiful, which is a play about an old woman living with one of her children who desperately wants to go home to the rural area she grew up in one last time. And everybody's too busy and no one will take her. And even though she's struggling just on the edge of dementia, she packs her bag and just leaves one day while her family's at work. 
So the movie is actually, the, the, the play, the rest of it, is on her trip to Bountiful. And in the midst of her trip, she's sitting at a, a bus station with other people, and she stands up and breaks out singing the old hymn, Blessed Assurance. Remember that? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Now, in the presentation, they talk about what happens in the theater when Cicely Tyson starts to sing that song. This secular play in a secular theater. And how by the time the song is done, most of the theater is all singing it with her. Then after that presentation, C.C. Winan, a great black singer, along with a, a black youth choir, came out onto the stage at the Kennedy Center and they started to sing Blessed Assurance. And while they were singing Blessed Assurance, the camera panned around. And there was George Lucas's wife, weeping. There was John Legend, the great singer, weeping. There were people singing along to this great hymn. Why would it have that kind of impact? Because they all know, as we know, that in this world you will have tribulation. But that song promises a connection to some great goal of glory that we all need in order to keep going as the long-distance runner we're meant to be. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes there may well be something in your life that you're having to be patient over that's requiring bravery in a few minutes as we finish the service there'll be people up front here you could actually come up and pray with we could pray with you over issues but I, I bet for most of us in this room we already know what it is For most of us, there's already a topic in our heart and in our mind. Some tribulation. Some place where we've been passive and should be assertive. Some straight and it looks like there's no way out. And we may have to wait for heaven and we don't know if we've got the energy or the courage for it. And maybe... Just maybe there's a few of us here this morning who we've been that person everybody else has to walk on eggshells for. We've used anger and hurt to manipulate and to control. And you want to pray with somebody and say, I, I don't want to be that person. And there may be some of us here who in a setting in our family or at work or in some other setting needs to sit up in the boat or you'll lose your personal authority that gift God has given you and you'll regret it and resent it all your life right where you're seated you say Lord I want to throw open the door here's an area that I need patience I need the endurance the bravery of the long distance runner I need to lean into this and not away from it. I can't do it alone. I need your partnership. Lord, I'm declaring today 
will you help me in this area? And you pray a prayer like that. In fact, we're going to wait for a moment. and You just ask the Lord to help you. going to embarrass anybody. Everybody, our heads are bowed. We're not looking around. But just to honor the Lord, if you were praying a prayer like that, and he says, if I stand at the door and knock, and if you open the door, I'll come in. If you're praying a prayer like that, would you just slip your hand up and put it down and say, you know, I, I asked the Lord for something like that. Yeah, yeah. All over, really. All the way through the auditorium. You bet. Yeah, I see that. Way in the back there. Yeah. Way in the back in the center here. Yep. Let's pray together. Lord, we know this world isn't all that you meant it to be. We feel the pain and anguish of it as you felt on the cross. And we need your help to keep eternity in view, to be assertive in the midst of daunting tasks. Help to sit up in the boat, to endure tribulation. For all these who slip their hands up, I pray that you'll rush grace to them. You'll give them the courage of that next step, maybe even today, where they would just come up and pray with one of our spiritual leaders. Start that journey, not alone, but together with someone else. Thank you, Lord, for that promise in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net. Thanks.